Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lance, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people and how to apply that truth to today's issues, trends, and culture. Now here's Pastor Michael's teaching in Isaiah 63, 7 through 64, 12, called, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. Isaiah 63 is where we are. We actually did the first six verses and looked at the second coming of Jesus Christ last time. And so we will pick it up from verse seven, but that's the teaching part. But I want to read the first six verses because I think it'll give us a good context for where we're headed. So Isaiah 63, go ahead and locate that in your Bible. I'm going to pray one more time. And before I pray, I want to tell you a little bit about Uh, just thinking about the book of Isaiah and what it is about. I think, first of all, you could say that the book of Isaiah is about salvation. Uh, That's what the Lord has been pointing us to throughout the book. The book of Isaiah is also a book about revival. Uh, It gives us some remedies uh, and some tools for revival or ways that revival can happen in a country, in a family, and in an individual life. And so I think that we need to be cognizant of that. I also think the book of Isaiah tells us the difference between profession and practice. It's easy to say something. Uh, It's easy to look religious, to go through religious motions. It's quite another thing to be in a relationship with God. I was listening to Joel Rosenberg. Uh, He was doing a two-hour radio broadcast with Janet Parshall. He said he put in his latest book, um, and I can't, I'm, the, the title escapes me at the moment. But it's, it's a title about, basically, about the coming collapse. And that's what it's about. He said he kind of fought God on writing the book. And he said, in his latest uh, research, it is still true that 85% of Americans claim to be Christians. 85% claim that the Bible, in their view, is the word of God. I don't know, folks. I don't know. I, I think there's a, disconnect, a disconnection, obviously, between profession and practice. Now, that's always been our problem, hasn't it? <laughs> I mean, each one of us can say, yeah, I mean, that's my problem. The, the, the degree to which I follow Jesus Christ. And he threw out, threw out some other stats that I thought were really alarming for us to think about. He said, in America, we are approaching now 60 million abortions. If you think about the, the, the condition of our country and wonder, you know, how long will God hold out in terms of judging our country? Just to give you an idea of what 60 million abortions means since Roe v. Wade, since the 1960s, it means that we have killed more, 10 times more babies than Jewish people were killed in the Holocaust in Nazi Germany. 10 times more. He mentioned in this broadcast that the pornography industry in the United States makes more than CBS, NBC, and ABC combined in one year. Yet 85% of America are Christians. And then we start to look at, you know, the moral issues that are going on in our country. Uh, we begin to see that there's a disconnect between a profession and reality. And I think that's a lot of what 
Isaiah is about, and I think you're going to see that that's really what Isaiah laments about tonight. He laments about the condition of his people, but remember in Isaiah 6, Isaiah even lamented about his own heart and his own lips, right? So if you, if you want to conclude what the problem in America is, and, and we could point our finger in a, in a bunch of different places, but the truth of the matter is, is it the church? Is it the professing church? Is it a church that is relatively weak? I mean, I know there's a lot of wonderfully strong, passionate Christians, but, but as a whole, when you start to hear these things and you start to see the way the country swings on issues that we think are so important, and especially in God's eyes, and that are undeniable in Scripture, you start to wonder, what's going on? Where's the disconnect? So uh, let's, let's pray and we'll get into it. Father, we just want to lift these uh, concerns up to you. We first of all want to come to you in humility because we know it's easy to look outside of ourselves and look at everything else, but we have to start with us, Lord. Uh, we want to start with the church. And we've been praying a lot and talking a lot about revival throughout the book of Isaiah, but revival is really about your people. And it's about bringing them back to life. And uh, tonight, there's going to be some of that in this message. And I pray that you would just guide us. I pray that you would show us what you're saying to us. We want to hear from you tonight, Lord. So speak to us from your holy word. Guide us by your Holy Spirit. Give us ears to hear what your spirit says to your church. And having an ear to hear, as Dr. Green taught us last time, is not just hearing something, it's obeying it. And so help us, Father, to have a heart of passionate obedience to what we hear you saying. In Jesus' name we ask, amen. Isaiah 63, verse one says, who is this who comes from Edom with garments of glowing colors from Basra? the one who is majestic in his apparel, marching in the greatness of his strength. It is I who speak in righteousness mighty to save. Why is your apparel red and your garments like the one who treads in the winepress? I have trodden the wine trough alone, and from the peoples there was no man with me. I also trod them in my anger, and I trampled them in my wrath And their lifeblood is sprinkled on my garments, and I stained all my raiment. For the day of vengeance was in my heart, and my year of redemption has come. And I looked, and there was no one to help. And I was astonished, and there was no one to uphold. And so my own arm brought salvation to me. And this is the hope that we see sprinkled throughout the text of Isaiah, is that God is going to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. He is going to intervene. And in chapters 65 and 66, we're going to see the the new Jerusalem. We're going to see that God does, in the end, restore and recreate. He is going to do that. But what leads up to that is oftentimes, uh, and of course, as the biblical account unfolds, it is times of peril. Uh, In order to restore, there's things that need to be restored. Uh, To make new, there are things that have gone through, obviously, crises. And so God says, so my own arm brought salvation to me and my wrath, notice, upheld me, six. And I trod down the peoples in my anger and I made them drunk in my wrath and I poured out their lifeblood on the earth, verse seven. So we stop there. 
last time. And now, as Isaiah breaks into this prayer and praise, he says, I shall make mention of the loving kindness of the Lord. The praises of the Lord according to all the Lord has granted us, and the great goodness toward the house of Israel, which he has granted them according to his compassion and according to the multitude of his loving kindnesses. This refers to the acts of love of God that he's bestowed upon his people. Uh, earlier today, I had a chance to, I've been telling you a little bit about my little, uh, I have 12 girls in this little Christian release time class, and it's, they're about 10 to 12 years old, so it's pretty funny because me and my son go in there and teach these 12 little girls, and uh, we have a good time, and we keep it pretty fun, but I was asking them about their prayer life, and they say, I pray, every, you know, I pray that God protects me, and I pray that I'll have a good day, and I pray that I, 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 and after they all finished, I said, did you guys notice something? You all pray for yourselves. I didn't hear anything about you praying for somebody else, and they all went, oh. Oh, did you have to bring that up? You know, you kind of saw them. And at the end, we circled around and I asked them to thank God for one thing. And so they all started thinking things of, of things that they could thank God for. And some of it was pretty simple, like, you know, thank you, God, for today. And then they st- started saying, thank you for my family and thank you for this and thank you for that. And I think that's what Isaiah is doing here. He's, he's thanking the Lord for the many, notice the, the multitude of his loving kindnesses, the many acts of love that he has bestowed on us. Sometimes we need to step back and do that kind of inventory, folks. Because we can tend to be people that look at only the negative side of the equation. And sometimes in hard passages, we go, wow, that's, that's difficult. I heard a quote um, that John Wooden had shared. I think this is with his great-grandson or his grandson. He said, make every day a masterpiece. And I, and I shared that with my son, uh, who's at Bible college right now. I texted it to him. I said, you know, Coach Wooden said this, make every day a masterpiece. And that might sound like kind of pie in the sky. Can you really do that? Well, you know what the Bible teaches? Every day you are God's masterpiece. Ephesians 2.10 could be stated this way, you are God's work of art. He considers you his masterpiece. And every day you can make the day a masterpiece as you walk in the good works that God has ordained for you to walk in. And a lot of that has to do with us taking our eyes off of ourselves. You know, what John Wooden did very well is he poured his life into the lives of other people. Uh, He lived a humble life, but he was a great leader because he taught people how to do things the right way. And I think that that's something that we need to do is, is take that inventory of our lives Uh, and think on the love of God and what he's done for us. For he said, surely they are my people, verse eight, sons who will not deal falsely. So he became their savior. And in all their affliction, verse nine, Isaiah 63, would you notice? He was afflicted. And the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and in his mercy, he redeemed them. And he lifted them and carried them all the days of old. What a beautiful, beautiful passage. You see, every time they were afflicted, you know how God felt? He was afflicted. Do you remember when 
uh, Jesus confronted Saul on the road to Damascus, and he said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. Thanks for tuning in to Walk in Truth today. Did you know there's more where that came from? Download the Living Truth app to listen to more of Pastor Michael's teachings whenever you want. You can even watch videos. And if you're local to Southern California, you can get updates on church events, new studies, and more. Download the free Living Truth app today. Producer Rob Newton here, and on behalf of Pastor Michael and the Walk in Truth team, thank you so much to our financial and prayer partners. Whether you have given a one-time donation or you have become a monthly partner, you have contributed to our mission to reach out with God's truth to all people and helping listeners like you apply that truth to today's issues, trends, and culture. You've heard that before, right? Well, we mean it. Thanks to our financial partners, we have added three new radio stations. Our prayer is to bless our new listeners the way we have hopefully been a blessing to you. If you're a long-time listener, would you please consider becoming a $5 a month partner? That may not seem like much, but every little bit makes it possible for us to continue our broadcasts, podcasts, and free apologetic events. Please become a partner giving at least $5 a month. Visit walkintruth.com to donate or call 844-48-TRUTH. That's walkintruth.com or call 844-48-TRUTH. We'd love to see who's listening, so please connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Just do a search for Walkin' Truth Show. Now, back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walk in Truth. And the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and in his mercy, he redeemed them. And he lifted them and carried them all the days of old. What a beautiful, beautiful passage. You see, every time they were afflicted, you know how God felt? He was afflicted. Do you remember when Uh, Jesus confronted Saul on the road to Damascus and he said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. What shall I do, Lord? Get up. You'll be told what you must do. In all their affliction, he was afflicted. When we go through difficult times, We need to understand that this is the heart of God towards us, and I don't always understand the whys of the difficult times. And I don't always understand the details of the difficult times, but I know this. The Bible teaches that God, well, he feels that pain. And it says that he intervened as well. The angel of his presence saved them, and in his love and in his mercy, he redeemed them. He lifted them and carried them. Would you notice? All the days of old. It reminds you of the, the footprints in the sand, you know, story. You know, when I saw the one set of prints, you were carrying me, God. When Moses had come to the people of Israel and uh, told them about his mission, uh, it says this. It says, so God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Exodus 3, 7, and the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have given heed to their cry because of their taskmasters, for I'm aware of their sufferings. And Exodus 4, 31 says, so the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord was concerned about the sons of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed low and they worshiped. Exodus 4, 31. When the people understood that God cared, but how long did it go on? 
Well, they were in Egypt for 400 years. And so it went on a long time. But when the people realized, you know what, God cares about us. Exodus 19.4 says, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagle's wings and I brought you to myself. But, and there's always a but in there, isn't there? (laughs) Verse 10, but even though this was God's heart towards towards them, they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit. Now, Ephesians 4 teaches us that we can grieve the Holy Spirit. And that might seem like kind of a strange concept, but the Spirit that lives in us, the Holy Spirit, can be grieved. He can be quenched. And here, in, the, in an Old Testament passage, we find that by the rebellion of the people, that's what grieved the Holy Spirit. So if you want to understand uh, what grieves the Spirit, of course, this probably captures it in a general way. It's rebellion. That's what grieves the Holy Spirit. When we rebel against God, when we go the other way, it grieved his Holy Spirit. And, and the word grieve in Greek in the Ephesians 4 passage means to hurt. It speaks of a painful hurt. Therefore, he turned himself, now here's a sobering thought, to become their enemy and he fought against them. He said, Okay, if you don't want me on your side, then I guess I'll become your enemy. And what happened? Well, God judged his people and he used foreign armies to bring difficult times and he put them in a 70-year captivity. Westerman says, to grieve God's goodness is to assail his holiness. The nerve center of all that happens in history consists in the fact that when God's holiness has been wounded, Things cannot go on as they are, close quote. Did you hear that? Let me say that, the last part, one more time. When God's holiness has been wounded, things cannot go on as they are, close quote. But see, we believe they can. But the scripture teaches that, you know what, there is a time when God will say no. This is Psalm 78, 40 and 41. How often they rebelled against him in the wilderness. They grieved him in the desert. And again and again they tempted God or tested him. And they pained the Holy One of Israel. That's Psalm 78, 40 and 41. But then there's a then, and here's a good then. And this is usually the, have you noticed that this is kind of the route that we all take? You know, we, we have blessings from God We can tend to rebel at times. We sing the hymn, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, you know, prone to leave the God I love. But after he turned and fought against them and disciplined his people, then it says in 11, his people, well, they remembered the days of old. Of Moses, and they they said something like this, where is he who brought them up out of the sea? This is an allusion to the Red Sea. With the shepherds of his flock, probably uh, speaking of, of Moses and probably Joshua. Where is he who put his Holy Spirit in the midst of them? You see, when they were going through the judgment of God, the discipline of God, they started to say, where's the, where's the God that we heard about the stories of the Red Sea and, and the one who led them faithfully with these faithful shepherds who caused 12, his glorious arm. You can reference Exodus 15 verse 6 to go at the right hand of Moses, who divided the waters before them to make for himself, notice, an everlasting name. Could point to the Red Sea or the Jordan River. 
who led them 13 through the depths. Like the horse in the wilderness, they did not stumble. As the cattle 14, which go down into the valley, the spirit of the Lord, and he is the one who does this, gave them rest. The spirit of the Lord is the one who gives us rest. So didst thou lead thy people to make for for thyself a glorious name. And now a cry. He says, look down from heaven and see from thy holy and glorious habitation. Where are thy zeal and thy mighty deeds? The stirrings of thy heart has to do with the yearning of, an innermost, uh, of the innermost being. And God's feelings for us are deep. The stirrings of thy heart and thy compassion are restrained toward me. Are there a time... Are there times in the history of a nation where God restrains the experience of his presence? And I would say to you, yes, there are. And that's not a good place to be. Are there times when God removes blessing from a people? And I would say, yes, there are times when he does do that. And those are the times when people start to say, where are the times? You remember those times, you know, when God did this and, and did that? Where are those times? It seems like his compassion is restrained. For thou art our father. Notice this. Though Abraham does not know us. One writer said, if Abraham were able to get into a time machine and go forward in time until the present time when Isaiah was writing, or think of the Babylonian captivity, would he recognize the people of God? Someone put it this way. If one of the reformers, let's say the time that the church was really being reformed into doctrinal purity and stuff, if they were in a time machine and fast forwarded to the church today, and let's say that they walked into one of our, uh, how shall I put it, uh, mega churches and sat down and listened to and watched and listened to what went on, what do you think their conclusion might be? I don't know. I don't know these people. Are these are these the Christians of this century? Right? That's kind of what he's saying here. Abraham wouldn't recognize us. He wouldn't know who we are and that's our father and Israel does not recognize us though O Lord our our father. Our redeemer from old is thy name. That see the people are have drifted Why, O Lord, does thou cause us to stray from thy ways and harden our heart from fearing thee? Return for the sake of thy servants the tribes of thy heritage. Now, this could be a disturbing verse, verse 17. But let me quote one writer. He said, let's not misunderstand. Isaiah is not blaming God for the failure of this generation. He isn't saying that God forced them to sin. God doesn't do that. If we wander from God, that's our responsibility. And God may teach us a lesson, that's God's discipline, by handing us over to the power of our sins and hardening us so that we won't come back. Uh, Psalm 95 verse 8 says, don't harden your hearts. And that's the idea here. It It seems this way. It seems like there's such a hardness that people are not turning back to you, Lord. It seems like, There's a restraining and a hardening of heart and and a a straying. Thy holy people possess thy sanctuary, 18, for a little while. Our adversaries have trodden it down. And then would you notice this last verse? 
We have become 19, like those over whom thou hast never ruled, like those who were not called by thy name. And one conclusion of one writer I was reading said, you could take the clauses and turn them into titles. You could say, say it this way, we have become, put quotes around it, you did not rule over them. That could be the title now. Someone could look at a nation like this at a time like this, says Isaiah, and it would be as though you never were our king. You never were our God. There seems to be no semblance of uh, foundation built on the things of Almighty God. And all God's people said, ouch. Kind of sounds familiar. We move into Isaiah 64. So what do you do at a time like this? Do you just sit there and put some ashes on top of your head and have a little pity party and say, whoa, whoa, whoa. Well, I think what we learn is that Isaiah is going to teach us how to pray in times like this. And I'd also say that even though some of you may be looking at our nation and a bit bummed out tonight, whenever there are times like this, there's, there's also great opportunity for the church to shine. Because whenever there are times like this, what we realize is that we can't play Christianity. You know, that's not what God wants. God doesn't want us to play Christianity. He wants us to love him and he wants to love us. So what do we do in times like this? I think Isaiah 64 is going to give us some remedies, but it will continue kind of a balance of longing and lamentation. So you're going to see some longing in these texts, like please God do this, and some lamenting over the condition. Notice Isaiah 64 verse 1. Oh, that thou wouldst rend the heavens and come down. Now, I don't know about you, but I think I'm going to make this one of my regular prayers. Oh, that you would rend the heavens. In other words, that you would open up the heavens, God, and just come down and visit us. You know, you may have, I have, and I'm sure you have, experienced times when you felt like that was the case. Maybe it was in a worship service. Maybe it was in a moment where you saw God answer a prayer, something that you had been praying about a long time, and, it's, and you sensed it, that it was as though God had rent the heavens and, and come down. It was a very tangible presence in your life. And Isaiah is, is crying out in that way. Please, God, just split the heavens and just, just come down. That's what we want. We don't want any show. We don't want any games. We want you. We don't care about the lights. We don't care about this or that. We want your presence. That the mountains might quake at thy presence. And this is reminiscent of Exodus 19 when God comes down on Sinai. And you remember when he came down, the mountain was quaking and there was fire. And the people said, you go talk to him and then come back and tell us what he says, right? And God said, put the warnings and put the the borders up and don't let anybody cross those. This is the descent of God. And one way to look at this, even though this is judgment language, is that revival is always connected to the descent of God. Now, what do I mean by that? You might be thinking, well, Pastor Michael, but the, the Holy Spirit lives in all of us. Yeah, that's true. But I think we could document 
And I think we could document it both biblically and experientially that there have been times in history when God's presence seemed to be more tangible. It seemed to be, uh, his special presence seemed to be more, um, we were more aware of it. Listen to these words. This is Jonathan Edwards writing in 1735 when God visited New England. He said, quote, the town seemed to be full of the presence of God. It never was so full of love nor of joy and yet so full of distress as it was then. There were remarkable tokens of God's presence in almost every house. It was a time of joy in families on account of salvation being brought unto them. Parents rejoicing over their children as newborn. Husbands over their wives. Wives over their husbands. Our public assemblies were then beautiful. The assembly in general was from time to time. uh, People were in tears while the word was preached. Some were weeping with sorrow and distress. Others with joy and love others with pity and concern for their neighbors. But God was doing a work. Unless we be, you know, tunnel visioned, God is doing a work. But it may not be right now in America. (laughs) But you know something? Since 1950, in 1950, I pulled some statistics. There were one million Christians in China. And there's a little debate about the statistics, but... The government says today there's 25 million uh, Christians in China, 18 million Protestants, and 6 million Catholics. Independent estimates all agree that is a vast underestimate. I read one uh, book that said there's 80 to 100 million Christians in China, but the conservative estimate is 60 million. There are already more Chinese at church on Sunday than in the whole of Europe. So from 1950... One million Christians in China. Let's take the conservative estimate. There are now 60 million Christians in China. God is working. But the unfortunate reality is, it doesn't seem to be here, at least right now. But it wasn't that long ago that there was a revival in America. And we all know where it happened. It happened in Costa Mesa. It happened under a tent at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, and God moved, and there was, and, and we're still feeling the ripples of that revival because God moved in a special way in the hearts of the hippies and you know many people who were lost in those days, and tons of people got saved, and churches were planted all over the place. And that's just the recent past. And while there are prognosticators that say, I'm not sure that's going to happen again in America, well, I'm not sure it can't happen again, and I'm sure praying that it will happen again. I'm sure praying that that God will move again in uh, this town of ours, in this state of ours. See, this is how revival comes. If you look at Isaiah 57, 15 with me, this is a verse that we spent some time on, but let me remind you of it because it gives us some of the keys to revival, and here's what it says. This is Isaiah 57, 15. It says, Thus says the high and exalted one, 57, 15, who lives forever, his name is holy. I dwell on a high and holy place. Now, Isaiah, remember, was crying out for God to come down. And also, so my dwelling is in heaven. And also, with who? The contrite and lowly of spirit. In order to, here's revival, to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. What's going to bring revival? Revival. Contrition, brokenness, 
an admission that God, you know what? We have failed, but the one thing that we desire is for you to come down. It's for your presence to be known. And I believe that we need to start praying that way, people. Oh, Lord, come. It's, it's similar to the idea of Maranatha. And, and listen to the language in Isaiah 64. Listen to the passion. Oh, that thou would rend the heavens. There's, there's passion there. It's not, Lord, thank you for our food. Amen. You know, if that's all you got in your prayer life going right now, mm, got to revisit that, right? We all need to revisit our prayer lives from time to time. No, it's he who testifies to these things says, says yes, I am coming quickly, Revelation twenty two twenty. Amen, come Lord Jesus, right? It's Maranatha. If anyone does not love the Lord, let him be accursed. That's anathema, and then he follows it with Maranatha. In the future, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but to all who, what? Remember, love his appearing, 2 Timothy 4.8. And Hebrews 9.28 says, So Christ, also having been offered once to bear the sins of many, shall appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin to those who eagerly await him, Hebrews 9.28. So, Lord, come down, 64.2. Let the mountains quake at thy presence as fire kindles the brushwood as fire causes water to boil, you see the effects of the fire to make thy name known to thine adversaries that nations may tremble at thy presence. Fire kindles, fire causes. Um, this is seeking the intervention of God, but also the effects of his intervention. Fire does something. If it gets on wood, it burns. If it gets under a pot, it boils the water. And that's what we need. We need to be on fire and we need to be boiling, if you will, for God. And of course, I'm, I'm, I'm using this uh, possibly <laughs> out of context because I have to say to you that the main flow, at least in my understanding, seems to be that when God comes, he's coming down more in his judgment presence. But I think there's a mixture of a little bit of both here because it's to make thy name known. And how did God make his name known throughout the Bible? Well, sometimes he did it through judgment. If you read the Exodus accounts, you'll see that God said, hey, Pharaoh, through Moses, I'm going to do this, that you might know who I am. That you might know the power. Who is this God that I should obey him? Well, I'll show you a little bit about who I am. I'll show you a little bit about my power. Jesus, at the end of his high priestly prayer, said, and I have made thy name known to them, and I will make it known that the love wherewith thou didst love me may be in them, and I in them. Would you turn to Psalm 18? This is the kind of prayer that I think we're getting at. Psalm 18. This is a psalm of David when God rescued him from his enemies, including Saul. Psalm 18, verse 1. I love thee, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. Psalm 18, 2. My God, my rock, in whom I take refuge. My shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. Psalm 18, 3. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. The cords of death encompassed me, the torrents of ungodliness terrified me. The cords, verse 5, of Sheol surrounded me, the snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. I cried to God for help. He heard my voice out of his temple. 
and my cry for help before him came into his ears. Then, would you notice this? The earth shook and quaked, and the foundations of the mountains were trembling and were shaken because he was angry. And it seems to be in context because David was being harassed by enemies. Smoke went up out of his nostrils. Gotta love that image. Fire from his mouth devoured. Coals were kindled by it. He bowed the heavens also and came down with thick darkness under his feet. And he rode upon a cherub and flew. And he sped upon the wings of the wind. He made darkness his hiding place, his canopy around him. Darkness of waters, thick clouds of the skies. From the brightness before him passed his thick clouds, hailstones and coals of fire. 13. The Lord also thundered in the heavens and the Most High uttered his voice, hailstones and coals of fire. And he sent out his arrows and scattered them and lightning flashes in abundance and routed them. And then the channels of water appeared and the foundations of the world were laid bare at thy rebuke, O Lord, at the blast of the breath of thy nostrils. And he sent from on high and he took me and he drew me out of many waters and he delivered me from my strong enemy and from those who hated me for they were too mighty for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my stay. Don't you love that mixture of David saying, man, I was going through a tough time and how did the Lord come? Man, he rent the heavens and he came down with power and imagery like Sinai, amen? The Lord is on your side. Back to Isaiah 64. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God can come that way into your life and bring personal revival and rescue into your situation tonight? Do you believe that? That's what Isaiah is praying for. He says, when, this is the times that we're looking for. When thou did, 64.3, awesome things which we did not expect. You know what? God loves to do stuff like that. I've prayed about things over the years and God has worked in ways that I could not expect. Anybody else agree? Have you experienced that, right? Oh Lord, this has certainly got to be it. I know. This is the third door I've pushed on in three days. It's got to be you. Right? It's not opening. Why is this not opening? Then you try your karate kick on it. I know this is going to work. God says, no, that's not it. You mean I gotta wait three more days? Yeah, you need to wait. Because I work in unexpected ways. Thou didst come down, the mountains quaked at thy presence. Awesome things that God does. For from old, 64.4, they have not heard nor perceived by ear. And there are, there's an idea here, and I think it's, it's right, that this is what Paul quotes in 1 Corinthians 2.9 at least with some changes. For from old they have not heard nor perceived by ear, neither has the eye seen a God besides thee who acts, how do, who does he act for? In behalf of the one who what? Waits for him. Those who wait for the Lord will renew their strength they will mount up with wings like eagles. The idea of waiting for the Lord means an expectant, faith-filled waiting upon God. And he acts for those who do what? Who wait for him. I'm not talking about waiting until that knock on your door comes, you know, and you get a check and you you don't want to work. 
I'm talking about active waiting. I'm talking about pushing on doors. I'm talking about seeking the Lord and then letting him move in your life. To wait has the idea of exercising a patient, confident, expectant faith. That's what faith is. Thou dost meet him who, second thing, who rejoices in doing righteousness. If you want to see God move in your life, then rejoice in doing the right thing. If you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you will be satisfied. So what are, we, what are we seeing here? A prayer of people who are saying, Lord, I want your way. I want to do the right thing. I want to rejoice in you. Who remembers thee in whose ways? In thy ways. Someone who wants to do God's ways. Behold, thou was angry, for we sinned. Here's, a, here's ownership. We continued in them a long time, and shall we be saved? From Joel Rosenberg, we have more divorces than any other industrialized nation. And some some people argued with that stat and said, no, divorces have actually gone down. Yeah, but cohabitation has gone up since the 1960s, I heard, 1,000%. People are giving up on marriage, or they're redefining marriage now. You see, see, God says, I want you to go back to my ways, not your ways, not, not your ways trying to ram me into it and saying, okay, this is really, it's my way, but I think it's God's way. No, that's not what God is saying. He's saying, I want you to go back to my way. If you want me to come down, if you want me to rend the heavens, if you will, then do it my way. For all of us, 64-6, well, we have become, and notice it's happened implication over time. And you're going to notice the word like four times. These are similes. Like one who is unclean. There's the image of a leper. A leper had to announce that he was unclean. Yet he had a disease where he didn't understand how it was destroying him. Or at least he couldn't sense that it was destroying him. You remember the problem with leprosy? You, you became desensitized in your, in your limbs, And so you could lose body parts or you could have a rat chewing on you and you wouldn't know it. You had become desensitized. We've become, could we say it this way? Desensitized. All our righteous deeds. No, we do good things. Well, sure, there are some good things done, but they are like, second simile, like a filthy garment. And I don't want to gross you out tonight, but I will tell you that Hebrew scholars say that this is a garment of menstruation. This is, this is that type of garment. So all the things that we think are so righteous, how does God see them? As a garment sta- stained during menstruation, making a woman unclean, according to Leviticus 15 and Ezekiel 36, 17. One writer, Alec Moiter, says, bodily discharges that were linked to procreation, that is giving birth, were considered a defilement because they were so vitally connected to fallen human life, close quote. That's why the connection is made. So we've all become like one who's a leper, <laughs> one who is a filthy garment. We've, all of us, notice the repetition, are like a leaf, uh, and you know what happens to leaves, right? And our iniquities, our sins, are forcibly like the wind that what? Take us away. So the final image the leaf speaks of kind of worthlessness and being dried up, separation from God, brittle, if you will. And like the wind speaks of 
the wind carrying off dead leaves like Psalm 1 verse 4 that you can check later. Uh, they are like chaff blown. You know, that's the, that's the person who is not doing the right thing. Joel 2.13 says, Rend your heart and not your garments. Now return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate. He is slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness, and relenting of evil. And who knows whether he will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him. Beautiful. And there is, notice 64.7, there is no one who calls on thy name. Now, I think Isaiah may be using some extreme language, but you kind of get the point. And isn't there some times when we feel like this? We kind of look around and we say, Lord, is there anybody who prays anymore? Is there anybody who calls on your name? There's so much political correctness. Now the, the latest one is the cross up in, on Mount Rubidoux. Have you heard it? Somebody called and complained to the Americans uh, for separation of, of church and state, and now there's a lawsuit, and now the Mount Rubidoux cross is in jeopardy, and they either have to have somebody buy it so that it's private land or the cross has to come down. This is happening all over the country now. Because crosses can't be on, you know, uh, uh, public land or, or government land. Is there anyone, seven, who arouses himself? Kind of the idea of slapping yourself. Uh, I remember one time I was coming back on a truck from Mexico. And there was a guy driving this old beat up truck. And he was literally smacking himself in the face. And I'm not talking about just a little smack. I'm talking about he was, I thought he was in a fight with a passenger, but then you looked and there was no passenger. He was just smacking, beating the tar out of himself in this truck. What was he trying to do? Trying to stay awake, right? Well, you know what? That's a pretty good image, folks. Isaiah's basically saying, there's got to be a wake-up call here. And it's got to be us almost smacking ourselves around. Wake up. What are you thinking? Kind of thing. To take hold of thee. There's no one who arouses himself to take hold of thee. Thou hast hidden thy face from us, has delivered us, notice, into the power of our iniquities. Now I want to take you, we're almost done, but go to Isaiah chapter 1. Isaiah 1. This is verse 15. Isaiah 1.15. So God says, when you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. One fifteen. Yes, even though you multiply your prayers, I will not listen. Here's why. Your hands are covered with blood. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from my sight. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Reprove the ruthless. Defend the orphan. Plead. For the widow. See, these are actions that we can take. And now notice verse 18. God says, Come, what? Come now. That's easy to pass by. I've passed it by for years. Come now. Let us reason together. Says the Lord. Though your sins are as scarlet, they will be white as snow. Though they're red like crimson, they will be like wool. If you consent and obey, you will eat the best of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword. Truly the mouth of the Lord has spoken. One of the troubling things that for people, Isaiah 64, we're almost done, who look at Bible prophecy say, where's the United States? 
Where is, where is our country? How can the, the most prominent, prosperous country on the planet not be mentioned in Bible prophecy? And as much as scholars have dug to find the U.S., guess what? There's no good case to be made for the USA in Bible prophecy. Hmm. What does that mean then? I don't know. But it's something that we definitely should be praying about. Verse 8. But now, O Lord, thou art our Father. Reminds me of the Lord's Prayer, our Father. We are the clay. Here's a realization. What needs to happen? We need to realize that God is our Father. We are the clay. He is the potter. And all of us are the work of his hand. See, if we want to come back, we need to recognize once again where we come from. We cannot be disconnected from our creator and have true life. It just will not happen. But we try. As a matter of fact, we live among a people that's trying desperately to have life without their father. We live in a culture that is desperately trying to to deny the potter and be clay on its own and think that it's going to live without the potter. And if we want to come back to God, here's what Isaiah is saying. We need to recognize that all of us, verse 8, last part, are the work of his hand. Of course, evolution has done a great job in trying to disprove that, right? Do not be angry beyond measure. Don't be furious, Lord. Don't let us feel the full weight of your anger is the meaning. Neither remember iniquity forever. Behold, look now. All of us are thy people. Please, Lord. Thy holy cities have become a wilderness. Zion has become a wilderness. Jerusalem, a desolation. Our holy and beautiful house, the temple, where our fathers praise thee has been burned by fire. All our precious things have become a ruin. Wilt thou restrain thyself at these things, O Lord, wilt thou keep silent and afflict us beyond measure? And they're saying, please act on our behalf. And the good news is that God will act. And in chapter 65 and 66, we're going to see the beautiful end of the story, which is ahead of us still. Would you bow your hearts with me? Jesus said, pray then in this way. Our Father, pray it with me, who art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Lord, you've taught us to pray that and the church has been praying that for almost 2,000 years. And that is our prayer. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. I pray that you would visit us in revival, Lord. But I pray that we would not mistake the things that make for revival. And I believe those things are centered on the word of God and a contrite heart responding to the word of God. And I want to ask, Lord, right now, as we think about our nation, but more specifically for tonight, our church,
the church in this nation, that you would rend the heavens. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. That we would desire that, Father, above everything else. That we would desire that above programs, that we would desire that above performance, that you would come down. That people would walk into assemblies in this city and say, surely God is in this place. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand? You've been listening to Oh, That You Would Rend the Heavens and Come Down on Walk in Truth. And that's Pastor Michael's teaching in Isaiah 63, 7 through 64, 12. Hey, we'd love to connect with our listeners. You can email or send Pastor Michael and the team here a letter. We love mail. You can get all the contact information at walkintruth.com. That's walkintruth.com. Or you can get it now. Our email address is contact at walkintruth.com. That's contact at walkintruth.com. And here's our mailing address if you're ready. You can write Pastor Michael at P.O. Box 2063, Corona, California, 92878. That's P.O. Box 2063, Corona, California, 92878. Now, here's Pastor Michael with a final word. Well, the cry in Isaiah 64 is so apropos. It is a cry for revival. Oh, Lord, that you would rend the heavens and come down. And you know, the good news is that the Lord did do just that. He rent the heavens and came down in the person of Jesus Christ. And the Lord Jesus is coming again, and he's coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. There is a day coming when every eye will see him. As far as the lightning flashes from the east to the west, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. Those are Jesus's words. He's coming again. But we need him right now, brethren, to come in revival. And I know many of you have been praying for revival. And there's this beautiful idea that the Lord would open the heavens, pour out a blessing that we cannot contain. I think here as well, another thing for us to consider as we look at the book of Isaiah, specifically this chapter. So listen to the rest of it, because we're not going to air the whole thing. We've been trying to get you to go to our podcast platforms, search for walkintruth.com, subscribe, follow, tell a friend. We've had thousands of listens in, amazingly, all over the world, in several different countries. People are hungry for truth, brethren. Thank you for praying for us. Thank you for supporting us and partnering with us. I pray the Lord will take it all around the world. That's been our prayer for the last, uh, as long as I can remember, last five or 10 years. And you know, the Lord is doing just that. It's really exciting to see. So check out the uh, podcast on your favorite platform today. Hey, I want to take a moment to invite you to Living Truth Christian Fellowship for Sunday services. I have the privilege of serving as senior pastor at Living Truth in the city of Corona, right off the 91 Freeway and Lincoln Avenue, a little bit west of the 15 Interchange. Living Truth Christian Fellowship, we're at 1009 Arsenal Way in Corona. I'd love for you to come on out, experience one of the services. Love to meet you. You can bring family and friends. 
You'll have a great time of worship, fellowship. Uh, we have so many things going on, so many Bible studies and things for different uh, people and situations, ministries, Bible studies, etc., marriage ministry, so much uh, that I, I can't cover it here. But I'd love to meet you in the courtyard. Maybe we'll split a maple bar and... Uh, you can enjoy one of the services. Go to walkintruth.com, click on the church tab for all the details. Walkintruth.com, click on that church tab. Hey, make sure you're in church on Sunday. More than that, be the church, serve the Lord, worship him. He deserves it. And we will see you, Lord willing, either Sunday or Monday. God bless you. And remember, Walk in Truth is a listener-supported ministry. Your financial partnership helps us broadcast on this station, provide the podcast for free, and it helps us do our free apologetic events too. Please consider becoming a monthly partner of at least $5 a month. You can donate at walkintruth.com. Now, whether you can give financially or not, would you please spread the word of Walk in Truth around your community? You can tell a couple people to either listen on this station or find Walk in Truth on their podcast app. And join us on Monday for Pastor Michael's teaching in Isaiah 65 called New Heavens and New Earth. I'm Mike Massaro. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. Our goal is to equip you to reach out with God's truth to all people.